What child is this? By the way, one last mention. Um, on Christmas Eve, when we celebrate Christmas Eve, um, thinking of Bethlehem, I want us to uh, take an offering for uh, Pastor Stephen Curry, who's a Palestinian Christian and a pastor in Bethlehem. And he's ministering to and feeding uh, Muslims, uh, Palestinians, uh, secular, and um, in some cases even uh, Israelis. Uh, well, they're all Israeli citizens, but I mean uh, 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 ethnic uh, Israelis. And so he's serving everybody that he can. And uh, he has a big assignment there, and it's just really blown up because of COVID. So people really need uh, hope and help. So um, if you would, I I'm, I'm setting a low limit of $1,000. I'd love to be able to send him $1,000 right after uh, Christmas and say, uh, Stephen, uh, God bless you. We, we love you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Holy Land missions. You can find them online if you want to learn more about Stephen Curry. So Bethlehem, by the way, the, you know, in, in the Greek it translates something into, Greek and Hebrew translates into like uh, the Beth part is easy. That's house. Everywhere, you know, Beth is house. So house of, and then <clears throat> sometimes it's translated, most of the time in Hebrew and Greek it's translated into bread, like the house of bread. But in the Aramaic, there's this connotation like meat, like house of meat. And some, we've often wondered, you know, what's the connection between, between the two? So if you can imagine that Harrisburg was Jerusalem, and let's say that Hershey was uh, Bethlehem, there's a space in between, not very far at all. Um, but between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, it was and still is the pasture land where they raise sheep. So, um, by the way, uh, shepherds in Jesus' day were considered to be ruffians, uh, kind of like the, this is the crowd that you didn't invite to your birthday party. This, these guys were outdoor, they lived with sheep, they smelt like sheep, they bred sheep, they thought about sheep, their lives were sheep. And uh, so most people relegated them to the edges of society. Um, you know, I don't know, when was the last time you, you pulled your garbage collector out and said, I just want to give you a hug today, you know, and, and bless you. And it, it's probably, it would be good that we did that. But think of people who are around materials that, you know, the odors cling to them after a while. So... Uh, that would be shepherds. So to announce this good news to shepherds was really like uh, going down to the biker bar and saying, hey, guys, I got some great news for you, you know. Um, it seems so romantic and so perfect in our minds. I, I, I don't want to, like, dismantle Western ideas of Christmas. I, I just want to say that so much of Christmas is really nostalgic and, and it, it really is centered around emotion and family and sentiments from when we were children and I think that's healthy and well you know um, I just think that this story was a little uh, uh, rougher around the edges than we make it to be you know so I, I wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of retell 
this story again, but from the question of uh, what child is this? And I had been pondering, and I don't know if, if you ponder things in your heart, but sometimes the Holy Spirit would just lead me to a time of just pondering on an issue, on a subject, and I think that that's good. I think it's healthy. So as I was pondering, I, I thought about the, um, not only how much babies interrupt our lives and sleep and everything else, you know, but how dependent uh, human infants are. I think of all creatures, large and small, uh, human infants, uh, newborns, are probably some of the most fragile and yet strong, but they are so dependent. I mean, we don't have beaks and claws and feathers or fur, and unless mom or dad cuddles and keeps us warm and stuff like that, we would die in a couple of hours if uh, we were left exposed and no no protection, no help, you know. And yet that creature, that infant, has the capacity with its huge head and huge brain to develop and to grow and to become mature and then begin to dominate like the planet. I don't know if you marvel, as I do sometimes, at uh, pictures from outer space, telescopes, the Hubble is actually being surpassed by a new telescope that's going to go further with greater mag magnification, and we just keep piercing into the universe deeper and deeper. Our capacity to land on the moon, send rovers to Mars, and you know, and and write movies of people living on Mars, and you know, our capacity to grow and to increase and to become dominant on the Earth is just really nothing short of amazing. So to go from such dependency to such brilliance and capacity, the sky's the limit. Who knows how far? Can I just throw that challenge out there? A sanctified mind, who knows how far it could go in developing, in creating, in um, inventing, in designing. And by the way, I just put that responsibility on you. Take it and run with it. It's not just about making a fortune. Most people lose their fortune trying to establish their dream, but may God grant dreams to you, every one of you. And especially this year, if you've lost your dream, dream again. Dream, dream again. And spiritually, may God awaken you and give you prophetic dreams. Um, a dream that I had this week is still rattling my cage. I don't have time to go into it right now, but you know, the scriptures teach us that the Lord can instruct us in the night and in our sleep. Even when we're sleeping, God can instruct us. How about that? The capacity of humankind to go from so dependent to so brilliant, right? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. In fact, I got an idea. This idea came to me. So the last couple of days I've been thinking, what if we just did the first 100 days of the new year as let's just extend Christmas, 100 days. It would help the retailers. It would help the restaurants. It would help, you know, let's just go 100 days. <clears throat> and I figured that by then Gary and uh, David would be tired of playing Christmas songs. So I'm not sure how far that would go. And then I thought, well, what if we did 100 days of praise? And the Spirit rebuked me and said, hey, you should be doing that anyways. And I was, okay, okay, all right. 
So here's what I came up with, and I, I think that it's an inspired thought. And I, I really, I'm serious about this. Let's take the first 100 days of this new year that's coming as the Lord gives us opportunity. And let's make it 100 days of serving. Let the people of God begin serving their communities, their homes, their families, their schools, etc., etc. Let's let us be found serving. And it, it'll all be done in Jesus' name, but you don't even have to say in Jesus' name. You just do it. You do the right thing because it's right. Okay, so dream and serve for 100 days, and let's see if it changes our world and our life. Amen? We can go home now. That's enough. And I'm actually sleepy and hungry, and so we might. No, let's go ahead. Let's go a little further. To go from dependency to brilliance so in such a short period of time, I think that there are some mysteries that go even beyond that. And let me just give you one of them. And this mystery is great to me still, but it's not as great as the one I'm about to share. So it is, to me, it is a great mystery. And I hope John is in here. John, how many of you love John? He's such a... He's with the kids right now. He's being brilliant with the kids. And I love when he grabs the microphone and says, come on, people, we need Jesus, you know. Um, if John were here, he would know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a great mystery that God could sanctify a human mind and expand it to understand and to receive the mind of Christ. That is huge. I mean... In other words, God can find a derelict like me, and he could transform him into an amazing person and expand their mind and sanctify their thinking, and they can begin thinking thoughts of God and dreaming with God together. That, that's a huge mystery, how God can transform the human heart. Oh, how our hearts need transformed. Another mystery that is even greater than that is to take it on the other end. Think about the vastness of the universe and know that God is bigger than the universe. Take the vastness of God. Take the, the, the not just the eternal, but the infinity of God who is spirit. He's not confined to a body God can be everywhere and nowhere whenever he chooses or whenever he wishes. Can you imagine God taking all of his infant, eternal self and compressing it into a man? Well, or better yet, a child. You and I really ought to ponder the Lord sanctifying and expanding our minds. But we also need to ponder for a few moments today what it would be like for God to compress and to squeeze himself into a pair of skinny jeans. By the way, that is sometimes a hopeless cause. I don't care how much they stretch. Sometimes skinny jeans, jeans are not an option. Can you imagine God compressing himself into a baby? It's, it's beyond understanding. So what child is this on Mary's lap? 
is sleeping. That phrase came from the paper that I had handed out, The Manger Throne. William Chatterton Dix, D-I-X is the last name. So William, uh, a British fellow, 1865, just after the Civil War, his dad was a surgeon. His dad was a writer. His dad was a poet. His dad was also an alcoholic and a plagiarizer. So, I mean, like, the press, after, after uh, William's dad died, the press decided to run a story and print about this amazing poem that he, was, he supposedly writ, wrote, and it wasn't his at all. He had totally plagiarized the whole thing. And so they said, now that he's been dead and gone, we're just going to tell you who he really was, you know. Uh, William's dad was that, but William's dad was many things, but he appreciated the arts, he appreciated uh, the, the English language, and he appreciated um, uh, the meter and the rhyme of poem and poetry and writing. And so the greatest poet of the day was a man by the name of Chatterton. So when he had a son, he named his son William Chatterton. So he wanted him to have that name, William Chatterton Dix. And... Uh, so who, is, who did he become? Well, uh, William became a, um, you know, he became married, and he needed a job. And uh, not long after he was married, they started having children. They had seven of them. Uh, they had seven children, and uh, he became an insurance broker. He became an insurance agent, and I can't imagine this, but I guess thinking of the time period, he was a maritime uh, insurance agent. But he did so well that he rose to become the manager. So he was the manager of this leading maritime um, uh, insurance agency. And he was doing fine with that. But then he was dabbling in writing and stuff. And he was not a Christian man, but he was working with a good work ethic because he wanted to put distance between his dad's reputation and himself. After having these seven children, after being successful in his job, then William... Uh, suddenly fell ill. We don't know what the disease was, but it was life-threatening. He was on a deathbed for several months. And having been on this deathbed for several months, he fell into a very real depression. He thought he would never get out of. And one day, while wrestling with his demons, as it were, can I just stop for a second and say, that mental health is a real issue right now, and it's never been more so. I mean, it's always been an issue, but right now people are struggling with mental health issues. Please stay in touch with one another and know where people are at. And if someone is struggling, please let someone know because we want to help. There is help. There is help. There is real help. If you're struggling with depression right now, or if this time of year comes around and you fall in depression every year, and then if it's magnified by COVID and restrictions and um, all the other stuff that's going on in the world today, please reach out to someone, let someone know. But here's something you might want to try. William, while in his darkest, deepest depression, called on the Lord. And God visited him in such a powerful way that he was literally transformed. His mind was renewed, and he became a born-again Christian. 
You're supposed to say, yay. Praise God. And then he discovered something that when he was born again, something that was sort of genetically passed on to him was this writing thing. And so he began writing, and he became a poet, and he became a lyricist. And he wrote in his lifetime nearly 2,000, nearly 2,000, Christian songs, nearly 2,000 hymns, and a couple of Christmas songs. What Child Is This is one of them. What Child Is This came from a poem that he had wrote earlier, and I'm just going to read one paragraph, and you can read the rest later. The beginning paragraph says, This is the Manger Throne by William Chatterton Dix. Like silver lamps, in a distant shrine. The stars are sparkling bright. The bells of the city of God ring out, for the Son of Mary is born tonight. The gloom is past, the morn at last is coming with Orient light. It's great poetry. Great, great. Can I read just one more? Okay. I'm going to jump into the middle of the poem. Now a new power has come to the earth, a match for the armies of hell. A child is born who shall conquer the foe, and all the spirits of wickedness quell. For Mary's son is the mighty one whom the prophets of God foretell. From that poem, he wrote the song, What Child Is This? On Mary's lap is sleeping. That is a rhetorical question, but it's a real question. It's a powerful question. What child is this? You know, how many, how many children when they're born causes people to want to kill them? Well, probably too many. But, you know, the thing is, what would cause kings to want to destroy him? What, what child is this that kings would want to kill him? What child is this that shepherds would want to see him? What child is this that angels want to worship him? What child is this that demons want to destroy him? This child is the eternal Son of God, the greatest gift ever given to the world. I want to think about that for just a moment because we sit here today and we have inherited so much Probably few of us have pondered the faith of Christianity and how it became what it is today. But do you know in 325 A.D., 325 A.D., so just a scant 300 years after Jesus was born, suddenly the church was gripped with a heresy that swept across the land. And the heresy was this. Um, Jesus is a prophet, but he is not the Son of God. He's not God in flesh. He's not the divine Son of God. And thankfully, there was a, a great, a huge debate. The Nicene Creed was written because men gathered together and they contemplated God. They contemplated Scripture. They prayed. They fasted. They cried out to the Lord. They wrestled with theology. They wrestled with Scripture and text and early church fathers, they brought all that in and they wrestled with it and they came up with the decree. 
And the decree was what we call the Nicene Creed. Some people love it, some people hate it, but the thing is it was the first time that a conference was held on the issue of Jesus. And the decision was that Jesus is none other, and this is their words, the very God of very gods. You and I take it for granted, right? Jesus is God. Like, if you don't believe that, you're probably a cultist or, you know, something else, right? That's part of what we use to determine who fits into a category of people who have abandoned traditional Christian faith and fallen into a, into a cult-like mentality. One of the first things we ask is, who is Jesus? And if the answer isn't something like the very God of very gods, then we say, you're not following the classic Jesus tradition that the church has given us and handed down. A few weeks ago, I challenged you that this tribe of people be those that hand to another generation the faith that was handed down to us, the faith that came from the apostles, the one that was handed down to the early church fathers and was on and on and on and handed to us. When we leave this earth, may we leave behind the faith that was given to us in all its purity, in all its power, all its wonder, and all its glory. And you can't do that if you're not convicted in your heart that Jesus is God in flesh. What child is this? He's God in flesh. Say, how can that be? Let me tell you, there's a lot of other mysteries I live with, but this, this part of it, I'm kind of coming to understand. And I want to share this, and you know, you don't have to agree with me or even believe what I'm believing right now, but I want you to think for a moment. Before there was anything, before there was a universe, well, I can't get my mind around that. I can't get my, you know, because everything that is in front of me is so visual or some way given to me by my senses, it's really, really hard for me to imagine nothing. As a matter of fact, if you've practiced any kind of Christian uh, meditation, I'm going to tell you that you're going to fall into something that is like, Eastern, unless you fill your mind with something, not empty your mind of something. The goal isn't to think of nothing. The thing is, the goal is to think on what is. Jesus, his reality, the word of God, and such. But if for a moment you can humor me and say that before there was anything, according to Genesis 1, there was a command, a word. Let there be. Before there was anything, there was a word. Let there be. And it was. But before there was a word, there was a thought. Before you speak, there's a thought. Most of the time. I've said a few things this morning that I'll later regret. I didn't think about too much, but, you know, sleepiness, not enough coffee and whatever. But generally speaking, before you utter a word, there's a thought. And before there's a thought, there's a will. There's a plan. There's a purpose, a desire. So I want to say that if the Father willed and Jesus issued the command and the Holy Spirit began to create, I just want to go back to the Father. 
what was in the heart of the Father. Before there was anything, before there was everything, before there was a word, what was he thinking? I'm not going to tell you. I know what was in his mind. I'm not going to say that at all. But what must have been there at a minimum was a desire. And the desire was what? I just want to take a moment and say, unless you have thought about this lately, the Father loves the Son. Jesus' testimony was that his Father loved him. Jesus lived in a reality of love. He lived every day of his life on the earth in the love of God. He lived every day of his life before there was an earth in the love of God. And Jesus' testimony was that he loved the Father. As a matter of fact, he loved the Father in such a way that he questioned all the people around them whether they actually loved the Father. Because the way that he loved the Father was that the Father was the center of everything. So he didn't see a crowd and no means to feed them. He saw a Father who was well able to provide for these people. After all, he created everything. In the heart of the Father was this love for Jesus. In the heart of Jesus was the love for the Father. And in the heart of the Father and the Son, there's this mutual love and respect for the Holy Spirit. And if you don't think that is true, Jesus said something that has never been said about God. You can curse God and live, but if you curse the Holy Spirit, he said, heaven doesn't forgive that. You can't be forgiven. Like if we curse the Holy Spirit, and we mean that, that there's no forgiveness for that. But you can curse the Father, and he'll forgive you. There is such a... And by the way, that's another mystery. And, and let me just share with you, anyone whose mind gets troubled by that, if you think that you've committed an unpardonable sin, you haven't. Because if you had, you wouldn't think about it. But if you're worried about it, there's hope. Repent. He'll forgive you a pretty good word there but you know anyway so this love triangle between father son and spirit is something that you and i can't quite understand the unity is something that we can't quite get around we can't get past that three is somehow one but that that mystery is for another day but let's just let's just go with this the father loves his son and the father and the son love the Spirit, and the Spirit honors and loves the Father and the Son. There's a perfect unity. There's a perfect love and a perfect communion. And in the Godhead, there was need of nothing. So why did he create all these problems for himself? At the minimum, at the shallow end, and there may be much more than this, at the shallow end, in the heart of the Father, was a desire to bring honor and glory to his son. An eternal son who has no birthday doesn't get a birthday party. Turn with me to Philippians. In the book of Philippians...
and chapter number 2. Um, Carrie, I know we were going to fire that music a little earlier. Let's, let's, let's just fire it now. I'm going to read uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm sorry, I just threw that on you, and she's making preparation for it. So we'll all forgive Carrie for my mistake. Okay, all right. Therefore... If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and the forced answer is, there's a lot. What he just said, there's a lot of this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, oh my gosh. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Think of the the communion and the unity among the Trinity that I just described a while ago. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the spirit of giving, by the way. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of giving, and the spirit of behind the spirit is the Holy Spirit. Verse number five. Have this attitude, <laughs> have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That phrase means Jesus chose not to hold on to his godness. Like, he decided to let go. Who being in who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, actually as a baby. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, think of this, the Father, he's not saying at the name of the Holy Spirit, at the name of myself, the Father. He's saying at the name of Jesus, This is like how you give a birthday party to one who's eternal and who has no birth. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, I lied, so I'm going to read a couple more verses. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not 
as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's he saying? You can't earn it. He's saying, if Jesus isn't the center, you better make him the center. No matter what mountain is in the way, you better go over it. No matter what valley is under it, you better get through it. No matter what river there has to be crossed to get there. No matter what side street you have to take, make your path straight and make Jesus the center of it. Why? Because God has chosen to exalt his son. And at the end of the age, when every atheist is a believer, when every agnostic is passionate for God, in that moment, when God stands before the nations of the world, he will turn to Jesus and exalt his son. Jesus will be the judge Jesus will be exalted. Scriptures tells us that when everything has been consummated and everything has come to a close, then Jesus will lay down his scepter into the hand of the Father. And so Jesus will honor, honor his Father one more who is this child? What child is this? He is the eternal Son of God. Having no beginning, having no end. America had a beginning. Someday she'll have an end. A pandemic had a beginning. Someday it'll have an end. I have a beginning. Someday I'll have an end. And so will you. And in that day, Jesus will still be the eternal Son of God. In spite of skeptic, agnostic, and atheist, Jesus will be Lord. Okay, that's where you get to applaud.